Welcome back to the Stick 'Em Up podcast, Burundi. How you been? Nah, you know what? Been been doing all right. Um, obviously, you know we know the big elephant in the room. Uh, Vegas Golden Knights are our twenty twenty three Stanley Cup champs, yep. and congrats to Vegas. Yeah, and I would say in in Vegas winning, we learned two things. <laughs> the first thing we learned. As much as I hate to say it, they were the best team in the NHL this year. You know, regardless of whatever, whatever Boston did in the regular season, Vegas went on to win the cup. I can't deny it. The second thing I'll say we learned about them, their fan base is not in- incredible like everybody says. It's not a most diehard fan base in the league. Because that celebration when they won the cup was so painful to watch. They showed, at one point, they showed, I don't know if it was a drone shot or what, but they showed all the people outside, They, you know, the packed arena. There's, like, a freaking sea of people watching it outside. I was like, dude, when when the clock hits there, this place is going to absolutely explode. And I just kept waiting for it. And the clock hit zero, and, like, like they were cheering and yeah. stuff, but, like, you, you go back and you watch it the final seconds of any team winning the cup like they the fans are jumping up and down they're losing their minds yeah and and watching that whole thing the thing that um is reminds me the most is well first of all i'm going to point this out because and i knock them off their peg a bit (laughs) um so vegas wasn't even the first team to win the stanley cup in vegas washington did that and it was louder well, you just compare, yeah. like, when the Capitals won the Cup in Vegas compared to Vegas, it seemed like it was genuinely louder. Like, the atmosphere was just more insane for the Capitals winning on the road in Vegas. And, yeah. and you know, I know there was a lot of Capitals fans there, but it's like, you know, and people... Well, there was one really dedicated girl in the front row. Yeah. Probably like Caps one. Yeah, Kuznetsov's favorite, <laughs> uh, favorite fan. Um, but, and, and a lot of people have made the argument of, like, Yes, the game was pretty much over after the second period. Vegas and their fans, they all knew they were winning the Cup. Yeah. Barring, you know, a, a San Jose Sharks uh, third period Game 7 comeback. Um, and, and so they're like, they already knew they won the Cup. So, like, obviously, they're not, it's not going to be as, you know, crazy and loud. But it's like, if... You still won the Cup. If, if I'm in San Jose and San Jose wins the Cup, I'm screaming, crying, shit myself, regardless of what oh, the yeah. score is. Like, it's... You go back and you watch you watch uh, ser- other series that ended in five games, four games, and the game, the winning game, wasn't even close. The crowd's still losing their mind every time. Yeah, and then even like the players are all celebrating, like just after the buzzer went, and it pans to some people in the crowd, and they're standing there. They got like little smiles, but everybody's just on their phone, like recording, like. Everybody just wants to like get it, get it for social media. It seems yeah. it didn't seem like there was many people there that were like genuinely like in the moment, just excited yeah. and happy. I mean, maybe that's just me, but that's the way that I perceived it, just from what was shown. It just didn't feel like it just didn't feel like a team fully won the cup because you want that like crazy party atmosphere. And obviously, I'm sure in Vegas now there's you know there was lots of parties going on later that night, but it just didn't feel like a big celebration yeah. at the time. It was a uh... It was, it, I, you almost wonder if it's just kind of a, maybe not a generational thing, but, uh, you know, just the way society has moved, like, just seeing everyone with their phones out, like, 
Yeah, I wonder if that's just kind of the way things are often going now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there was a really good video going around of uh, Aiden Hill uh, singing uh, Eminem's Lose Yourself at a yeah, club with the Cubs. Yeah, I did see that. Um, that was, that was kind of cool. Then actually, did you see the, the photo of Vegas when they were all celebrating after they won the Cup? Yeah, who was it who was like, every, it, everyone's in the pile, and then there's one guy looking straight so up. It, it's, it's such a cool photo. Because, and I'll show it to you in a sec, but I'm just going to explain it first. So when you look at it, when all the players are huddled and surrounded around, it, it kind of gives the outline of a heart. And then the one guy in the middle looking up is Jonathan Marcheseau. That is Tom Smythe winner. So I'll show you the picture here now. Oh, yeah. And like, that's a, like, that's a really cool photo. That's a, that's a good picture. Like, it all just worked so well together. The way you started building that up, I... I really thought you were going to lure me in and then be like, if you turn it sideways, it looks like a ball sack or something. Well, fine. I mean, let me turn it upside down and we'll see. Because maybe... Yeah, no. Fuck, I wish. Oh, no, it's just kind of sick. Um, and then the other thing that I thought was worth noting, I thought it was pretty cool to start the game. Um, Bruce Cassidy started with what, they're call what they call the Golden Misfits. Um, five of the original six players that are still on the team were in the starting lineup. Um, everybody... Can you name them all off the top of your head? I can, yeah. Do you want me to? Yeah, I do. Uh, William Carlson, Riley Smith, Jonathan, Jonathan Marchessault, they were aligned for, you know, the first yeah. four or five years there. This past year, they kind of got split up a bit. And then on defense, it was Braden McNabb and Shea Theodore. And then... Um, Didn't even have to think of What's that. his name? His head's, his head's kind of like... A rectangle. Um, Will Carrier. He's the <laughs> other one who. I thought, I thought Charo was with them for a second. He he then was on the bench for it. And even when they won the cup, it was Mark Stone passed it off to. Um, I think Marcus or no Riley Smith got it first, and then it went through all of the Golden Misfits. But the thing that bugged me is after that, it was then. The, you know the cup went to Petrangelo. Okay, he's, he's already won a cup. Like, I get he's a big part of the team, but why didn't it go to Aiden Hill next? You know, kind of the goal he did on. And I was like, okay, it'll obviously go to um, Hill after. Then it goes to Martinez. Again, you know, a, a good veteran, but he's already he's won two cups. And then obviously Martinez has to pass it off to his lifelong buddy, it's John. It's quick. So that's why I was wondering why Quick went, uh, went that early. That makes sense, Martinez. Gave but it was like all these guys yeah. that had already won a cup. Like, yeah, I get their big parts of the team. But how do you not? Like, Aiden Hill should have been the first goalie in a Vegas Golden Knights uniform to touch the cup. But it was Jonathan Quick who, who didn't even play a single second in the playoffs. Yeah. You know, like, I get, I get the whole thing, like... It makes most sense for Martinez to be the one to pass it off. But Mar Quick. it's not like Martinez was Con Smythe runner-up. Like you could have had him. Like like Petrangelo doesn't need to give it to him. Yeah, as after the Golden Misfits, it should have been Aiden Hill getting it first. But who did uh, maybe who did Quick give it to? Did he then give it to Hill? Um, I think it was a player giving. Yeah, it, it was to another him. player. I mean, and, and I could be wrong. Aiden Hill might have been in the middle of doing an interview, but that's very rare that when they're first passing the cup around, the guys are off. They bang those uh, so. interviews around the order. Like, they know. Yeah. Like, so I thought it was a little weird, but I did think it was really cool to yeah. have the kind of the original guys who were there since day one start yeah. that final game in Vegas. So. It could have been cool if they had maybe quick give it to Hill, 
in a kind yeah. of like even though you know they both haven't been like on the nights for a long time it could have been a neat passing of the torch yeah you know yeah, an old right? john smith winner handing the trophy to the young upstart who just won them the cup and i would have been totally okay with that if that's the way that it that it did happen yeah but it, it like yeah it's just yeah you know it, it's some teams seem to put so much effort into it and some teams are like we just kind of got out there and handed it around so you know i'm not gonna put too much stock into the order you guys name on a cup and it's also back-to-back years that um players during their their interview after winning the stanley cup kind of shit on toronto um now now three times stanley cup champion phil kessel kind of took a dig in at leafs fans similar yeah. in the way that uh Kadri did last year with yeah. uh with colorado so i mean toronto's getting their name out there in the cup final they got something going for them yeah that's progress it's it's so funny how meta the nhl has become regarding toronto yeah. Just like the unfathomable ways they can lose in the in the first round, and no matter what's going on, they can still lose, and then they finally win, and then somehow the second round defeat almost seems worse. Yeah, like it's so wild, and like I've even uh, heard uh, that there are certain GMs over the past few years that have like purposefully claimed uh guys on waivers from toronto oh really just because they literally because they think it's funny like it, it's a rumor going on league like if you look at uh, the amount of people claimed off waivers the past few years toronto's got a considerable amount more than majority of the league yeah well it's like even how they have that uh and it's it's something you know i i will pray and hope and wish every day that i could ever have a glimpse on what goes on in there but so how the all the the general managers in NHL they have a group chat together. Yeah, between all all uh, thirty two of them now. I've heard they have and, and, a WhatsApp. Yeah, and so they can just they just you know if they got a guy that they're trying to trade, then they put his name out there and just see if anybody's interested. They just make jokes in there, and then once a GM is uh, fired, they're like they're, immediately they're immediate, yeah. Like, there's not even like see you later. It's just boom gone. And I would have loved to see what happened in that chat once Kyle Dubas got removed. Because, it, yep. like you said, it just kind of seems fun for guys to, you know, just kind of troll Toronto a bit and whatnot. I just would have loved to know, like, what some of the guys might have said Yeah, right. after that. But I really hope when this, in about 20 years, when all these guys who have been general manager start getting, like, really old and they start all retiring, I want... I want to read a lot of their books. I want I want a lot of them to, you know, tell all and be like, yeah, yeah we were fucking around with this guy the whole time. Or, you know, we always thought this was so funny. You know, could you imagine learning about some inside joke about something stupid that like president of hockey ops around the league are making? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one, one can only hope one day that we'd maybe, but it's, I feel like they have to sign like an NDA or something like I feel like there's there's got to be something where they're not allowed to speak about what goes on in that chat, or maybe there's not. And if there's not, I would love to know one day. I don't I'm doubt that it's the kind of thing that they don't have like an NDA or anything for. It's just kind of like you know that if you spill the beans to anyone and it gets out, you're done in this line of work. Yeah. And you spent how many years post your playing career trying to get there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um. And then just the other thing, because I, I was reading it last night, and I thought I was looking at it, I was like, damn. So, 
the Edmonton Oilers had the first overall pick in 2010, 2011, 2012, and 2015. So they had four first overall picks over the span of, of whatever that is, six years. Absolutely goofy. So they took um, Taylor Hall first. Then Taylor they Hall. took Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Then they took Nail Yakupov. And then they took Connor McDavid. Right. Out of all four of those players, not one single one of them has won a game beyond the second round in the NHL playoffs. Yeah. Have any of them made it to the third round other than McDavid last year? McDavid and Nugent Hopkins did, and they... they I guess... And and Nail Yakupov's not even in the league. And then they traded Taylor Hall for basically nothing. What's the bad? The interesting part is, in those four years that the Edmonton Oilers selected first overall, the player who went second overall, all four of them have a Stanley Cup now. No way. Tyler Sagan did with uh, Boston... Uh, Gabriel Landeskog and Ryan Murray did last year with Colorado, and now Jack Eichel did this year with Vegas. <laughs> and and it's it's like yeah, it, it, you know, it's it's obviously not like oh, it was just those players that you know carried their team. Like Tyler Sagan barely played much. Ryan he Murray was, was a a seventh defense. Jack and, Eichel led the team. Jack Eichel was actually he was a big force for Vegas. Yeah. I I don't second credit, but Conn Smythe voting. Yeah, even over Aiden Hill, which is surprising. And, but it, I think it's funny that, like, all these, I mean, and I guess, well, yeah, so Landeskog and Sagan won with their original teams. But I just find it funny that, like, all these guys Edmonton had first overall, and they, they haven't won a game in the third round. That's with, it's wild. With any of those guys. And even when Yakupov moved out of Edmonton, they traded him. He was out of the league in no time. Yeah. And then... That was such a Taylor crazy... Hall kind of powerhouse New Jersey to the playoffs, but they got steamrolled by Tampa Bay. I'm pretty sure it was that year. Uh, I think so. Pretty, it's pretty early in the first round. So yeah, it was crazy. Yakupov was so like he was like the the consensus number one, pretty good. Like he wasn't like as obvious as you know Bedard this year or McDavid in his year, but like you know it was like Lafreniere kind of like everyone's pretty damn sure it's gonna be this guy. Yeah, like there was a lot of hype around him. It's it's crazy that it just didn't translate to the NHL. Yeah, well, yeah, and even like that 2012 draft was just such a weak draft, though. Yeah, it's tough. So, but almost as weak as uh, this year's UFA market, apparently. Yeah, there. Uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of GMs around the league are talking about how they don't like this year's UFA crop. Yeah, which I think is why we're gonna see a lot more. Um, trades being made and whatnot. Like we did see the trade. Um, it's about about a week ago now or so. Uh, the New Jersey Devils ended up trading Damon Severson to Columbus yep. after um, signing him to an eight-year extension before shipping him off to Columbus. Yep. A little um, sign-in trade, and that's only the second one in NHL history. It's the only second time that's happened. Which is wild because this seems that seems like a great way to do business. Like yeah. Columbus just got a guy for several years at a dollar amount they knew they were getting him for, and it all only cost him a third round pick. And on the flip side, the Devils they were going to lose this guy for nothing to UFA, yeah. so they just got a free third round pick. And and people like, make the argument of yeah maybe. Um, 
uh, like may, maybe they could have got him in free agency. Like he was, if he was willing to go there on that contract, like he he probably would have signed there. But he, it sounds like Damon Severson really wanted to go to a Western Canadian team. Is kind mm-hmm. of what it sounded like, and so I, I'm. A, I mean, it sounds like the biggest reason why he um, agreed to, you know, signing this deal and then being traded to Columbus is because he was able to get that eight-year um, deal rather than only being able to sign a seven. Yeah. And that the money he got, I think it was about six and a half or just under six and a half. Yeah, it is, was, it was is, a healthy It was a lot more than I think he would have been able to get from, from any other team out west if that's where his heart was yeah. set on going. So he got a good good paycheck out of it, and he's going to a Columbus team yeah. that that's really gearing gearing up and ready to make a push for the playoffs yeah. next year. A lot of people seem to think that the uh, difference between the seven and eight year deal is kind of negligible. When it's upwards of six million a year, that's six million freaking dollars. Yeah. Like it, at that point in his career, he might he might be injured. He might not be able to sign another contract at the end of it, or he might have fallen off and be worth one point five. Like. Yeah. That's that's a lot of potential extra money that he's making because he's got that locked up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I thought I was gonna sneeze there. Um. So the other thing I want to talk about is because I may have made it. I've made it very known over the last uh, four or five years that I was not a big Matthew Kachuk fan at all. Right. But I have to say, after this playoffs. I am I am a fan of him now. Yeah. My I my whole mind is totally flipped on him. Like that guy, you know, say what you want about what Bobrovsky did and what you know X and Y did on the Panthers. Matthew Kachuk was an absolute beast in the playoffs. Absolutely. And then to hear the news that he wasn't able to play in game five of the Stanley Cup final, but he played through games three and four with a broken sternum. Yeah. To the point where he couldn't, he had, he needed help getting out of bed. Yeah. He needed help putting on his equipment. And he played NHL playoff hockey. Well, he had the cup final. In the cup final. He played hockey like that when he needed assistance to do basic things. Like, that's, that's absolute warrior shit. And, and like, he obviously, it was more noticeable in game four than game three. Like, he looked out of place. He looked hurt. Like, you could tell he was injured. Yeah. But he, he was still making an impact on the game. He was still a big impact player. And he almost damn near tied the, that, the end of game four with like a couple seconds left. He almost tied it again to send another game to overtime. Yeah. Like there's just, there's no, um, you can't put it any other way. Just what he did was incredible. And I have to give him Absolutely. all the respect in he, the world. He is very firmly in the same spot for me as a guy like Marchand. Like, I fucking hate him, but like, but like, I like you. I like on your team. Sports fan hate him. You know, I would yeah. love to have him on my team. And like, as a person, both guys seem pretty good. They just become bastards when they hit the ice, which is what you need in a sport and, and most of the time. And you're a, so you're a Tampa Bay fan. So like, Tampa Bay plays Boston four times a year. They play Florida four times. So you watch Marshand. Like your team has to play Marshand and Kachuk more. So you can kind of develop more of that dislike for them. True. Whereas, like you know, San Jose plays them. You're seeing them a couple times a year. So it's like, you know, and but it's like, man, if I had either one of those guys on my team, like, yeah. that would th- those are just the type of players you need to get it done. Yep, absolutely. It uh, it I remember at the start of the season when uh, 
when Kachuk went on the record, he was like, he hadn't even played for Florida yet. Like, I don't even know if he had moved down yet. And he was like, I already hate Tampa Bay more than I had ever hated the Oilers. And uh, I was like, yeah, we'll see. And then in that first game we played against them, he took uh, he took two minor penalties, not a double minor, two separate minor penalties in overtime. And we ended up winning the winning the game on like a four on three in OT. And I was thinking like, man, this guy is such a chunk. But yeah, fuck every other time we played him this year, he was he's a killer. He is. Yeah. He's a gamer. And, and it would have, again, it, it just brings me back to, like I said before, with that whole, uh, in the first round, that Vegas-Winnipeg series, and now relating it to the cup final between Vegas and Florida. I just wish we could have seen both teams go out of fully healthy. Yeah. You know, Winnipeg dealt with many injuries in the first round, even some guys not even being able to come back and play. And then the injuries you hear going through Florida, like the injuries with Kachuk, um... Aaron Eckblad had like oh, four or five he had different a injuries. Laundry list. He had like a and a like torn labrum or something, and like a so broken foot monster. since the first round. Like, oh my god! And then I think even Gudis was playing with quite a few. Like they just had so many injuries on their team. It's like that. Hell, I still believe that that fully healthy Florida Panthers team that we saw throughout rounds one, two, and three, fully healthy. It's probably that series is probably at least going seven with Vegas. Ugh. I'm not saying Florida wins. And how loud would the arena be if it went to a game seven? Like I feel like we would have gotten at the very at the bare minimum a game six. Yeah, but probably seven, and that would have been because it just it regard like as a sports fan when you're watching and you you don't really have a a horse in the race when it's the two teams in the finals. Yeah, you just want an exciting close battle. Exactly. And we just never really got the series. That was like one of the least close series of the entire playoffs. And not it sucks because not only was the series not close, but also the clinching game was a complete blowout, which I mean, I'm sure Vegas fans loved and yeah. rightfully so. But it would be it would have been cool to see, you know, it gets down to a game seven and one team's up three, two and we get three minutes at the end of the game where they have the extra guy on the ice and like when you get right down to it that there is nothing better in sports than watching it that close it is so good yeah like yeah just if if it was close you know but it just never really felt like you know you kind of just got the sense after uh games one and two was like you know florida might be able to pull out a, a win or two but like you could already just see the injuries that were starting to appear on these players. Yeah. And by that point, you just kind of knew that unless Bobrovsky absolutely just stole serious. every game, but you, but you knew he wasn't going to be able to do that against that Vegas team. And, you know, and, and I got to give Vegas a lot of credit. Like, they, they are a very good team, not to take anything away from them. Yeah. But I would have just loved to see a closer final between the two. Yeah. I, and I mean, like, so unless your team's in the final, you pretty much always hope for it to at least go six, you know? Yeah. Even if you're you, you're blatantly like, I kind of like this team and these are my rivals, I don't like them. You still kind of want it to be a little close, right? Yeah. That's it, just fun to watch. Yeah, because I, obviously I was, you know, pulling for Florida in the series, but I, I didn't want to see Florida sweep Vegas. You know, I still wanted to see a go game six or seven because yeah. those games are just so exciting when it's you're so close to 
to the end and you're fighting for every inch like it's yeah one of the incredible one of the most fun games that i've watched in the past few years was uh last year's playoffs uh game six tampa and toronto and toronto was up three two and that game was so insanely it's it's if tampa loses toronto moves on and it was so back and forth and we were up we were up by one goal with a minute left going into the third period and then they scored and they tied it up and then they scored again and they all of a sudden they were going into the intermission with the lead and then we scored and sent it to ot and that overtime was electric like yeah like when it's that close it's just it's so fun to watch yeah i I vividly remember that game you're talking about because i i remember watching i was like I was like, fuck, Toronto might actually get it done. And then sure enough, Tampa. I thought they were going to. to I believe the shots in that overtime were like 11 to 2 or like 11 to 1 in Toronto's favor. Uh, But the one was point just being, I don't even remember if he shoveled it or if it went off his foot, but it just went in the net. Yeah. Like, those are the playoff goals, the greasy ones. Yeah, but I'll, I mean, at the end of the day, hurts me to say, but congratulations to the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. Uh, hopefully it's the first, well, it is the first time, hopefully the last time, but. Yeah. Um, so moving on from the big team awards, should we take a look at some of the individual awards here? Uh, before we get to that, I figure we'll just uh, very briefly go okay. over a little bit of league news. Don't have to talk too much about it, but. Uh, uh, New Jersey and Jesper Bratt, they signed an eight-year extension. Uh, what was it? $7.875 million average, I believe. Yeah. And you know who's 63 mil? You know who's happy about that deal? Jack Hughes. Timo Meyer. <laughs> because he, he can't, like, obviously, you know, I'm not going to dive into his whole qualifying offer thing because I feel like he will have an extension signed before it gets to that point. Yeah. But, but he's not getting less now. He ain't getting less than... He ain't getting less, than, but... What is Jack... Is Jack Hughes at 8 or 9 mil? Jack Hughes, I believe, is at 8. I mean, did they give him more than Jack Hughes? Well, now... Sometimes, sometimes you have to pay players more than what you know your best guy is, but... And when that was the thing when Timo Meyer got traded there. It was uh, New Jersey... Yeah, he's making 8 mil. It's New Jersey didn't want to... It's a great contract. Pay, they didn't want to pay anybody more than what they were paying Jack Hughes. But for a guy like Timo Meyer, who just put up 40 goals this year, I mean, he can go. He's, he's not taking less than than eight. Yeah, you can like maybe right at eight million. Maybe he'll say us if you give him that eight year deal. Maybe, but he, but even in this day and age, for you know, they would they would have forty goal scorers. Not only that, a forty goal scorer who right up until about the trade deadline was playing on one of the worst teams. It in was the league. it was Meyer, Carlson, and the bots. Like yeah. it was. Like yeah, he, he, so I I mean, you know, if he if he was a unrestricted free agent this year and he went on the open market, he could get he gets at least nine million on yeah. the open market. I think I was going to say nine, probably in between nine to ten mil. Yeah, I would say he he could get that no problem. Yeah, something like a nine point two five or whatever. So that'll be interesting to see what what happens with yeah. New Jersey and Meyer now now that the Brad deal's yeah. settled. Good for Brad though. Oh, well-deserved contract. And uh, one other thing, as of about, I believe it was announced one hour ago, the Flames named Jerome McGinley special advisor to the yeah, general manager. Did. Good for him. And that's that's, that's so over good. the city, dude. Having having a Ginla like 
just be involved in any capacity with Flames yeah. hockey, that's huge for the fan base. Like, mm-hmm. and I, I love what the Flames are doing because it was something we talked about previously about how, and it even goes now to um, to an- another news thing that's on this topic is Peter Laviolette um, was named head coach of the New York Rangers. Right. Peter Laviolette now has been head coach for five of the eight Metropolitan teams. That's like, so it's just, like, why do teams just be like that? Yeah, it's just recycle the same fucking guys I, over and over I, who can't get it done anywhere else. Like, I, he's a good coach. But. I think a large part of it is just GMs or, you know, the president of hockey ops or whoever makes the big decisions. They don't want, they don't want to go off the board and then be wrong, you know? Like, you know, if you take Yakupov and he flops, well, most people are going to take Yakupov. It's not really your fault. But, you know, if you take a reach and you go for some guy who was supposed to go fifth and he's clearly not better than who was first, you know, people just don't want... They want to go for the guy who, you know, somebody else probably would have taken him. But, yeah, a a lot of the time the best choice is, you know... Hire from within, hire a guy you know is just genuinely really good at his job. Like, well, and that's what I think the Flames are doing so well is, um, you know, from their general manager Craig Conroy to new head coach, and now again, like they're they're just bringing all these guys from within. They're not going outside and grabbing like, well, this guy's a big name. Let's yeah. bring him in, or you know, let's let's get let, like a Daryl Sutter. We used to have him. Let's run it back with him. Like they're they're starting a new a new era. Um, there for for the flames, and it's it's really exciting because they desperately need it. Yeah. Um, you know, especially with you know the the new kind of core that they have now there. Yeah. Like it's not the Kachuk, Goudreau, Monahan. It's now the you know Huberdo, Lindholm, Kadri. If you want to go on there, like it's like it's a new era for them. So I'm glad they're they're doing it a different way. Finally. Yeah, it feels like the team is in a different direction. Like even if they're not as good, it's new. It's not yeah. stagnant like it had gotten. And it's and it's exciting because yeah. you know now you've got all these guys from within who have a good read on all of their players. They know all their players very well. It's not like a new coach and GM are coming in and introducing themselves to everyone. Yeah, like it's everybody knows everybody now. Yeah. And how so. how cool would it be? You know, he's the special advisor to the GM. So how cool would it be if you know in you know four years if maybe maybe the GM's going to get bumped up or moved somewhere else? Iginla might be the general manager in yeah. five years of the Flames. Yeah, and that's kind of the position he's in. Is like. You know, yeah, things are going in a good direction, and then Conroy moves on to something else. You know, Ginla might be that next guy in line to take over the GM spot. Yeah. All right. Do we want to get to the get to the awards? Yeah. So we'll kind of run through the the major um, player awards and go through the three finalists, and then just I think give our give our picks on who we think think will win them here because I think the awards are are coming up pretty soon. Uh, Monday, June twenty six. So. Pretty soon. About a week and a half away, but... Um, so start off with the big one here, and I think we both have the same answer. I would hope um, so. The Hart Trophy. So the finalists are Connor McDavid, David Pasternak, and Matthew Kachuk. It's Connor McDavid. Yeah. He put up 150 freaking points. Yeah, I, yeah. And you can make the argument Pasternak had, whatever, 60 goals. Uh, Kachuk basically carried Florida into the playoffs. 
Yeah. But you, you can't take away what McDavid did. I, I, it's so annoying because at the start of this year, I remember a lot of people were saying McDavid might hit 150. And I had the same reaction to that as when people were saying Matthews might hit 70. I'm like, yes, at his peak, he might be able to do this. But you can't, you can't just expect guys to... Con- like, there's a reason that there aren't, like, Ovechkin isn't scoring 60 goals every year. It's fucking hard. And I'm like, everyone keeps expecting this of McDavid. And I'm like, guys, he'll cap out at, like, 125. He put up 100... 100 what was it? 154 or something? And, that, and that's like, the he, he completely part. did it. He's nuts. And for McDavid, it's tough because, like, you think about the Oilers' playoffs this year. It was so highlighted by Drysaddle being a goal-scoring machine. That people were like, oh, McDavid, you know, he didn't have the best playoffs. Like, yeah. He looked like it was the Drysaddle show, but it's like, they were, the Edmonton Oilers were out in round two. Connor McDavid still ended the playoffs, tied for six in points. Only six points behind Jack Eichel. Only six points behind him. And like, Jack Eichel played two extra rounds. Yeah. Both, uh, well, the one with Dallas went six games. And then the Florida one. So 11 extra games Michael got to play from the time McDavid was eliminated the playoffs. Yeah. Only four more points. Or six more points. Yeah. Like, so it's like McDavid was still a beast, but you can't expect him to be on that whatever 154, 156 point pace in the playoffs. Yeah. Like that's not realistic when you're playing every second night and it's which is going up against the best of the best. Which is crazy because I mean, how many like do you have McDavid stats? Like what, what did he have? probably around uh, 12 games and like 20 points. That's that's pretty close to a 150 point pace. That's that's like 1.7 points per game or something. 1.25. Wait. Unless no, I, no, unless no, I no, need to go right. back to school right. for math. You're right. It's that, so, so he's 136.6 point pace was what he was on throughout the playoffs. Yeah, what a bum. He didn't he show up in the playoffs. Like, yeah, exactly, right? But yeah, I think McDavid's easily a lock for. Um, I should hope uh, so. Uh, one other thing I just want to throw in. Uh, yeah. This is just a random opinion that I've curated over the past few years. We love random opinions. Um, I hate that everyone calls the Hart Trophy the big trophy, just because who is it voted on? Is it the GMs or is it like the Writers Association? Yeah, Writers Association. Yeah, the, the, the whatever their voting panel. Yeah, they're whoever they're consists lucky of. panel of lads. Yeah, but. The Ted Lindsay is the same thing, but is voted on by the players. And yeah, that just that feels like it should be bigger than the heart to me. It feels like the perception of them should be swapped. You know, the players know who's the best better, I think. Like, you know, it's yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I guess it depends on which way you want to look at. Usually it's pretty almost I feel like it happens more times than whoever wins the heart. They almost also always win. They almost always win the both, but just uh, it's just this weird pet peeve of mine. You know, everyone always talks about you know the heart is the big trophy, and I feel like the you know put some put some respect on the Lindsay because you know the players know what's up. Yeah, although this year I will say we'll, we'll dive into it because it's it's third one on our list here. Sure. It might might be a different story this year for for someone winning both of them. Okay. Um, so the Vesna Trophy. Our finalists are Connor Hellebuck, Ilya Sorokin, and Linus Allmark. I think Allmark. It's, it's got to be Allmark. Yeah. I know you're Any a Mia Sorokin year. guy. I was wondering if you might uh, say him a little biasly, but, uh, you know, wh- whether you call it 
Olmark doing it all on his own, or you, it's just team success. Like it doesn't matter. He's the best goalie in the league. As you, numbers prove it. The, the numbers are wild. Yeah, dude. I we play like you said earlier. I watched you know pretty much every Tampa game, especially against Boston. I couldn't tell you if Olmark's good. Their defensive system is so insane. Over four games, I, it felt like we never got to test him. They, oh man. It I don't was, think he's like he, he's he's an NHL goal. I'll give him that absolutely like, easily. He's like always now a top five. Like it's like yeah, a lot of people are saying like, he's the best goalie in the league. Like just like uh, Shosturkin last year, he had one insane year, and everyone's like he's the best. It's like you know, I'm sure he, we we all know he's at least elite. Yeah, but like you know, like I was saying with the McDavid thing, you know, Shosturkin's not going to put up a nine three five save percentage every year for the yeah. rest of his career. That's not how it works. Yeah, it's just not realistic. He's, he's going to come back down to earth and probably still be incredible, probably a top five goalie, but yeah, you can't you can't expect every guy who breaks out to just keep doing it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I, I agree, though. I, I do think uh, all March will it, win this year. It's got to be right. Yeah. So now, now moving on to the Ted Lindsay Award. Right. So the three finalists are Conor McDavid, David Pasternak, and Eric Carlson. And Eric Carlson. Yeah. Interesting. Which, and and so it says the the award is given to the NHL's most outstanding player as voted on by his peers. Now, I think Connor McDavid probably wins because I mean, fuck, you put up one hundred and fifty points. I imagine so. But like, I wouldn't be shocked if if a lot of guys give Eric Carlson a nod. Yeah. You know. He put up 100 points as a defenseman on a shit team. Yeah. Like, I, it's you know, weird because Pasternak, it's tough because he put up 60 goals, but it's like, yeah, he was on the best regular season team in NHL history, points-wise. Also, McDavid put up, so, what, 64 goals? Like, he, yeah. doesn't even, he doesn't even have the goal argument against McDavid, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there should be no way Pasternak wins because he mcdavid alone mcdavid beats him in every category yeah it's i it's strange because i almost feel like carlson would have a better chance to win the heart trophy than the Lindsay, just because like some people it's always up up to interpretation whether the heart means are they the best player in the league or are they the person who value most value to their team yeah if that's the case even though they didn't make the playoffs, did anyone bring more value to their individual team than Eric Carlson? Well, maybe, exactly right. Maybe like, UC Saros? Yeah. Maybe yeah. Connor Hellebuck? That's like... Yeah, well, exactly right. Like, that's that's a big part of it. Probably just, uh, you know, he's always in the headlines, so it's you, you start to accidentally overlook McDavid in that regard. But I, th- I, think, I think Connor McDavid... Will win it, I think. So. But if Eric Carlson wins, I would not be surprised. I, I think he, I think Carlson comes in second. I think he gets a couple defensemen votes. I feel, yeah, I feel like it's it's going to be between those two. Yeah, you know, because again, Pasternak, great season, but McDavid beats him in every category. Yeah. Um, the James Norris Trophy. Our finalists are Adam Fox, Kale McCarr, and Eric Carlson. It has to be Carlson to be. I am so afraid that because it's so it could go to any three of them legitimately because they are Eric Carlson deserves it and the other two are the young upcoming guys that the league loves to advertise they would love 
for Kale McCarr to add to that resume. And it's like, Kale McCarr, sure, he was good during the games he played, but how the fuck do you, you know, Rasmus Dahlin in there? Or a Dougie Hamilton? Or a Josh, Josh Morrissey? Morrissey? Like, I just... You know, Adam Fox, yeah, he, he does deserve to, to be there. I'm not a fan of him, as a lot of people aren't, really, aside, yeah. aside from Rangers fans. I don't love the, uh, like, the root of saying, I will only play for this one team, but, you yeah. know, it's if he's got the skill, you know, I guess he can do that. But, and it's like Kale McCart, again, it's like you said, he's just a young up-and-coming guy. They want to just, if they can make his resume look so good and make him a face of the league, they will, but it's like... I don't think you can make the argument that either one should win over Eric Carlson. No. What and Eric Carlson did is legitimately historic. And and the biggest, and I hate people who use plus minus as like a meaningful stat towards players, especially yeah. in this conversation, because it's like Adam Fox and Kale McCarr play on, on, on two of the best teams in the league. Yeah. Eric Carlson was on a shit team, but he was only, I think he only ended up being about like a minus 20 or so. That, but he was like, also such an indictment for him. But he was also, again, like it's, I talked about before, there were so many games where San Jose, they lost a lot of really close games. Yeah. And Eric Carlson was on the ice. I think the final number was 18 empty net goals against. So that's a minus 18 right there, just from playing those crunch time minutes, trying to throw everything on net and get a late goal. So you take away that minus 18. He's only like a minus, minus two, minus three, minus four. Yeah. And then it's like, he was on one of the bottom four teams in the league, even with a week left in the season, bottom team in the league. And he's just barely under, uh, the, under, under, the, under even. And most of his 100 points were even strength, not even power play. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. He had... I got it right here. He's got 27 power play points and 101 points. That means he got, what is that? Do some quick math. That's like 85. That's not it. No. 84. 83. Somewhere in there. Mid 80s. 74. I suck. 74. I have to carry the one. Yeah. You, that's still insane. And uh, I'm trying to find it. I can't find the team stats. But. So, even if you don't include those empty netters, minus 26 on a team that, what would you guess is the Sharks plus minus overall? Like, well, they, well, actually, they were, they played a lot of close games. I bet they, they were actually, I think, they're probably only at about minus 60. They don't have a single player on their roster right now that's a plus. They're all minuses, and then they've got two, looks like two rookies that are even. So the team's goal differential overall was minus 87. Min so minus 87, he's out there for a lot of empty netters, and the so minus 26 is not a lot out of the minus 87, but he's playing almost, he's playing like 28 minutes a night. He's out there the majority of the time, but not letting in the majority of the goals, while clearly scoring, helping score a lot of the points. Yeah, and... And the other argument people make is he, he doesn't play a lot on the penalty kill. But why does he need to? He doesn't. Like, he is a beast five-on-five. Five. He quarterbacks basically both the power plays. And then every other defenseman on San Jose are all defensive defensemen. It's not so they were the perfect guy on the power play. It's that San Jose, to get offense, needs him five-on-five. Five, and they need him for, like, the full two minutes on every power play. Yeah. 
they they know how to deploy a player like him. But I think the biggest argument, I mean, 101 points as a defenseman, like yeah. At the end of the day, that's, like, that that's what it comes down to. Absolutely. Uh, the Calder Memorial Trophy for Rookie of the Year. This one got closer than I thought it would be. Owen Power. Don't know why. Stuart Skinner and Matty Beneers. I I think it goes to Matty Beneers. It has to. I'd like it. I, I think it gets to. I mean, Stuart Skinner was an all star. He voted in though. Voted in, but he he did very well for Edmonton. He he did, and he surprised a lot of people. Myself, I think he might get a couple of votes, but I do think Matty Beneers. Uh, I think he should definitely win it. Yeah. Like, I just don't see any way. And all in power, I'm not. You know, I don't really pay that much attention to Buffalo as much as I am going to now that they're really starting to become a team. But, like, I just feel like there was some better. Like, even Wyatt Johnson on Dallas yeah. would have been a who's, phenomenal who's the Who's the rookie that started making waves in uh, Arizona? I know you're talking about the defenseman. Yeah, I... His name escapes me at the moment because because so, people only started talking about him in the sec in like the back like third of the year, but all of a sudden out of nowhere people were like, "Oh man, this guy looks like he's on a heater." So um, he might have, uh, you know, given the full season, he might have been able to do some damage. But Matthias Marcelli, yeah, yeah, Marcelli, Marcelli, yeah, 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 and, and he could have even been a been a been a good. Um, third finalist pick for that yeah yeah i don't know it just is weird because like i don't think you know i think Owen power had, had a good year but like wyatt johnson scored a lot of goals yeah and it's like owen power shouldn't have been there in the calder and Vlasmus darling should have been in there for the james norris yeah. so it's almost like they kind of just got him fucking mixed up but i think maddie Beniers ends up yeah i think he probably does um, the Frank J. Selkie, so kind of the best defensive the best forward. Defensive forward. I, mean, I mean, we all know who's winning. Nah. But the finalists are Patrice Bergeron, Nico Hesher, and Mitch Marner. I, I definitely think that if, and I know this is still saying a lot, but if he had an average, even for his standards year, Patrice Bergeron, I think Mitch Marner would have won it. I think he, if Bergeron played like he did last year, Marner would have won it. But Boston was such a juggernaut this year, it has to be Bergeron yeah. again. Yeah, I mean, I got nothing really to sound like it's... Um, the Lady Bing. Here's, here's where the bus like, comes in. Uh, again, it's like, it's so tough, because like, you know, what's it fully judged on? Like, it's just straight penalty minutes, or... Um, but the finalists are Jack Hughes, Anze Kopitar, yeah. and Braden Point. I, I really have, have no idea. I, I mean, I would hope it's not Kopitar. I just, yeah. I don't, I don't think he was at that same level as those two. Unless he had 100 points and I just, like, misremembered. I think Braden Point probably wins. I'm sure hoping so, but... I think... Like, Jack Hughes just put up the most points in Devil's history in a season. And like we were saying with the the Norris, they love their young guys. Yeah, building up those resumes early when they know they're going to kind of be a bit of a face of the league. But uh, yeah, how many does he, do you got the penalty minutes on there? Because like Point had no either five or seven, and I think Jack Hughes had like two. I think I think Jack really? Hughes had a I, he had like a single 
one. Pull up Jack Hughes. Uh, really, this season. He had six penalty minutes this year. Six penalty minutes. In 78 games, like, that's pretty well done. Actually, that, that's actually that's actually pretty it, massive. It really, the amount of minutes he plays, too. Yeah. Like, it really kind of comes down to uh, what do they value more, points or goals? Because Jack Hughes had what? Not Did he have 99 points? Yeah. Yeah, and Braden Point had 51 goals. Kopitar played all 82 games. He only had four penalty minutes while still putting up 74 points. Yeah. And he's but, playing some big minutes as well. That is, but 74 points compared to 95. But, but again, that's the thing. He's like, do points, do the amount of points they get, is that part of the... I think it is. It's it's like the, you know, sportsman-like combined with a high level of play. Okay. Um, so then, yeah, I think Jack Hughes over Kopitar then. Yeah. What was points? I think... Point had uh, 95 points, 51 goals, and 7 penalty minutes. The thing is, one was a fight. Five of those was a fight with Mikey Asimont, who would be his teammate later on in the yeah. year. Yeah, so probably Jack Hughes. And I think I think possibly because of that fight, they give it to Jack Hughes. Yeah, yeah. If there was, because I feel like it's kind of between those two. If there was to be a tipping point, I feel like that fight yeah. might be. I. You know, the, the tipping point. That's one of that's one of those ones where I almost wonder if it's just going to be based on who's voting. Like you know, if you yeah. get a lot of like you know stuff like New York voters who yeah. are who you know are upset at Jack Hughes for beating him in the playoffs or something, or you know maybe people hate Tampa Bay less now because we haven't been to the Cup final this year or something. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to go, but it's going to be either point or Hughes. I feel like I think it's going. I I, I feel like that I feel point. like Hughes. I, I think it's probably that fight probably kind of gives him the edge there. Yeah. Um, the Jack Adams coach of the year, Dave Hackstall of the Seattle Kraken, Jim Montgomery of the Boston Bruins, and then Lindy Ruff of the New Jersey Devils. I mean, are we talking about who we think will win or who we want to win or who, well, who, who we think who, should who, who we think should win? Personally, I think Lindy Ruff should win. Really? I think look at the look at what the Devils did last year compared to this year. Like they do have incredible players, like that have all got a year older. But he, the turnaround that team had was very quick. So, and I also people love giving the Jack Adams to you know the the team that does better. They exceed expectations, well, and that's the thing. Is is so my thing is like I, I part like Jim Montgomery, you know. So going going back to when Tampa Bay set the record for most points in it, or tied the record or whatever. Yeah, sixty two wins. John Cooper didn't win the the Jack Adams because Barry Trotz got the Islanders finally back into the playoffs. Yeah. After losing Tavares and whatnot. So now that the Boston Bruins did this, you know, can you really say Jim Montgomery deserves it over like a Dave Hackstall or a Lindy Ruff? Exactly. Because if it's the still this all the same voters as you know, back a couple years ago when John Cooper kinda got robbed. You know, you can't be like, oh, Jim Montgomery's a slam dunk because maybe not. Yeah. But you know, like, he has the argument of, you know, best regular season of all of time. Course. But again, it's the like, argument's right there. Like, but the way they voted before, it's maybe, maybe Hackstall or Ruff does. It, uh, it, this is one where I could genuinely see any of the three winning it. I think it's going to be close. I think it, I think it's probably Montgomery just because of the season. But uh, I wouldn't be shocked if Lindy Ruff won it. Yeah, I think Montgomery will will probably win it. But if he doesn't, I wouldn't be shocked. And I think I would actually take uh, Dave Hackstall over Lindy Ruff. 
really think, yeah. That's fair. I mean... But you can't, you can't go wrong with picking yeah. either one. Yeah, I mean, even, you know, people definitely knew, or at least I feel like I knew that uh, the Devils were definitely going to start turning a corner soon. I didn't know they'd be this good. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the Kraken were kind of in a bit of a limbo. It's, it was shocking that they did this well this year. And the success carried into the playoffs. I don't yeah. think that counts towards the no, no, it's award, just regular season. But they they got in the playoffs, and people were like, "All right, we'll we'll kind of see." And then they kept going, and very similar to the Devils, it's you know they got to the playoffs, and everyone was like, "Okay, they got here," but the Rangers, the Avs, they're they're yeah. pretenders. They're not going to do it, and they yeah. both won in seven. Yeah, exactly right. Um, so that was kind of the end of our predictions for, for what we think is going to happen at the NHL awards there. Um, yeah. Do you got anything else left you want to add here before we kind of wrap it up? No, I think that's good. We covered them all. felt like we did those uh, almost quick. I thought there was more. Well, there, there, there's like uh, awards. There, I mean, there's other ones, but again, it's like the, you know, you know it's in the community. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we've kind of done them before. We, we think that one's kind of a, a silly one. Not silly, but like, it's how do you just it's, give it's it to lost one its guy? way as yeah. good as it is to say that about a trophy? Like how do you compare tragedies and be like, well, this guy overcame this and that's like yeah. Every all of them deserve an award for yeah. that for that type of stuff. So yeah. Those guys are all winners. Yeah, it's weird to pick just one winner. Um yeah, but I think now we're kind of on the pace of off season content. You know, the, the regular season playoffs is all wrapped up, so we're yeah. we're gonna be focusing more on the off season kind of stuff and what we think might happen, make some bad predictions, and yeah, there'll see probably come true. There'll probably be a lot of uh, a bit more outside the box things. You know, you know, maybe we'll quiz each other. Maybe we'll, uh, you know, go over some things that have happened in the past. You know, we'll probably open each episode with you know a quick uh, recap on you know signing, big signings, trades, you know, stuff yeah. like that. News we'll, around the league. Yeah, and then get into whatever else we feel like talking hockey. Yeah. Sounds like a good plan. Anything anything else you want to add before we hop off here? No, I think that's about it. Right. Yeah. One final time, I hate to say it, but congratulations to the Vegas Golden Knights. 2023 Stanley Cup champions.